and we're reading uh, Psalm 110. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. A Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his up the head. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his word. <clears throat> A gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for, again, another opportunity to come before you to study your word and to see the truth that is here. And as we consider this particular topic regarding our Lord Jesus Christ, We pray that you would give us understanding of the truth of your word and what you have revealed to us and that we would certainly be uh, grow in our uh, our gratitude and our admiration and our love uh, for our Savior and what he has accomplished for us and uh, and all that he is for us. And so we just ask now for your blessing upon our time together. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Psalm 110 is remarkable among the Psalms because it's the one Psalm that is most often quoted in the New Testament. The Psalm speaks of the Lord setting his king on the throne and subduing the nations under him so that the Lord's anointed king is assured of final victory over all his enemies. But when the New Testament quotes Psalm 110, most often it's in the context of asserting Jesus as the Lord's anointed, this great king the psalm prophetically speaks of. In fact, Jesus quotes this psalm in Mark 12 to make the point that that, uh, the psalm couldn't possibly be speaking about David, but rather is speaking about a son of David, the promised Messiah who would come to sit on God's eternal throne and that this son of David was actually greater than David himself because he would be the very son of God. Now for this reason, Psalm 110 is considered a a clear messianic psalm. Of course, we know that all the psalms are messianic, but uh, this is a psalm that is uh, really rich with uh, the messianic psalm. prophecies speaking of our Savior. The psalm is also notable in that it declares that this great king would also be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you recall, Melchizedek appears in Genesis 14 after Abram uh, returns from delivering his nephew Lot. Well, Melchizedek was the high priest of the Lord, and he was the king of Salem which would later, of course, become Jerusalem. And his name means King of Righteousness. And so this was a king, or excuse me, it was a priest, 
who was also a king. And that was something that was really unheard of in, in Israel. Of course, Israel was in existence at the time when uh, Melchizedek met uh, Abram. Well, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 5 and chapter 7, again, quotes from Psalm 110, verse 4, to show that not only was the priesthood of Melchizedek actually superior to the priesthood of Aaron, but that it's Jesus who fulfills the words of Psalm 110, not only as the king, but also as this priest. And so Psalm 110 is one of the key places in the scriptures where Jesus is prophetically spoken of in his offices of priest and king. Two of the three offices which are mentioned in the confession. And since the psalm begins, the Lord said to my Lord, that is, since it's God the Lord who's speaking these words, well, we can even perhaps stretch it a bit to include all three offices of Christ being referenced here in the psalm, that Jesus is the Lord's prophet, the Lord's priest, and the Lord's king. What do we mean when we talk about office? Well, our word office originates from the combination of two Latin words, basically meaning to do work. And so the office or position someone holds relates to the work that they actually do. How do we apply this to Christ our Redeemer? What positions or offices does he hold? Well, to answer this, we consider the work that Jesus has done and the work that he continues to do as our Redeemer and as our mediator. And the confession in chapter 8, paragraph 1, summarizes the biblical teaching on the offices of Christ by pointing out the three key offices Christ fulfills as our mediator and also the related work that goes along with them. It says this, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. And so first we see that Jesus holds the position of a prophet, not only uh, foretelling what will happen, but especially the one who declares the word of God. And of course, since Jesus is the very word of God come in the flesh, well, he is certainly the greatest prophet of God. Peter says in Acts uh, 3, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Here he's, Peter's quoting from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. But Peter's point here is that Jesus has come in fulfillment of this, that Jesus is the one, is the prophet that is greater than Moses. And secondly, Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, as we read earlier in Hebrews 5, uh, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, the writer to the Hebrews describes this priestly office to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, Jesus serves in the office of a king. As we sang in Psalm 2, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, and I would declare the decree, The Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This also speaking prophetically of Jesus, even as Psalm 110 did. 
And we find even here the echoes of this psalm at both the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration when the voice uh, declares from heaven that this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Echoing both Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 and also Psalm 2 here. And John also testifies in Revelation 17 that these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. So John here, making clear reference to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who uh, takes away the sins of the world, that this Lamb is also the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And so all three of these offices, prophet, priest, and king, are ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But each of these offices also played an important role in the development of the nation of Israel. And of course, at each point, uh, these offices point us forward to that more perfect prophet, priest, and king who would come. We already considered where Peter quotes from Deuteronomy 18.15. And so there we have Moses representing the law, testifying to the office of prophet and a greater one who would come in the future. Now, the prophet's duty in the Old Testament uh, was chiefly to speak God's word to the people, revealing his will to them. And so we have this in uh, Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. That's how the people in the Old Testament heard the word of God was through God's prophets. And James says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Here James referring to the prophets speaking not of their own uh, will, but of the uh, speaking in the name of the Lord. And they're not coming up with their own thing, uh, but they are the Lord's servants speaking and declaring what the Lord tells them. Both of these passages point to the need then for God's people to have prophets so that he might further reveal himself to them. And of course we know that this was, uh, before the fullness of the scriptures, uh, the, pro- the office of prophet was essential in declaring to the people the will of God. And they were appointed by the Lord and set apart uh, by anointing of oil for the purpose that he called them. And, of course, we know some of the prophetic ministries of the prophets in the Old Testament lasted decades, and others just only a few years. But they all declared the word of God. Well, secondly, the priesthood, we know, was established in Israel after the Exodus. Uh, Aaron, the brother of Moses, and Aaron's descendants were called by God and set apart to serve as priests. Exodus 27, verse 21 In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. And then 28 verse 1, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And here we have God setting apart Aaron and his sons to serve uh, as his priest. Now the chief duty of the priest uh, at the time was to intercede on behalf of the people, and especially it was to offer up the sacrifices to God uh, in the tabernacle, And then, of course, later in the temple. And so that was the role of the priest, was interceding for the people um, 
in a sense, acting as a mediator between God and the people, and they were the ones offering up the sacrifices. <clears throat> they were again anointed with oil and set apart for that particular task. Well, then we have the third office, the office of king. And we know, know, of course, in Israel that Saul was the first official king of Israel. But it really wasn't until David and his sons that God had made the covenant promise to establish his throne in Jerusalem forever. And so in 2 Samuel 7, we read this, When your days are fulfilled, this is uh, the prophet uh, Nathan speaking to David about what the Lord has uh, promised. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. And, of course, we know that this uh, passed on after David was king, then his son Solomon, uh, and then uh, Rehoboam, and then on down the line. But, of course, there's also impregnated in this uh, prophecy is, uh, or in this promise, is uh, looking forward to that perfect one who would truly be uh, the Son of God. Well, the duty of the king was to lead and guide the people, and especially to defend them in war, and also to function as a judge, one who administers justice in the name of the Lord. And we have that example, especially of, of Solomon. We see him uh, acting as a judge when um, that uh, the Queen of Sheba is, is visiting, and uh, there's this situation with these two women um, and fighting over this child. One of the women's children had died, and they were fighting over this other one, and and Solomon uh, displays his wisdom to the glory of God. And uh, it's a great testimony to the Queen of Sheba. So, But that was Solomon acting as a judge in that situation. Well, now what's unique in Israel is that a priest could actually also be a prophet. Like Samuel. Samuel was a priest. He was a, of a priestly family. But he also functioned as a prophet at times. But then also in Israel, a prophet, someone like Moses, could also do the function of a priest. And kings like David sometimes functioned as prophets, especially David perhaps as he's writing the Psalms, he fills that prophetic role. But a king was never to serve as priest, and a priest was never to be a king. Now Moses uh, as a type of Christ, essentially functioned in each of these three offices, though he really wasn't officially a king, he did actually lead the people. He had kind of a kingly function before the people. But before Moses, we have, as mentioned earlier, this Melchizedek functioning in all three offices. In Genesis 14, then Melchizedek, he's a king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has, delivered, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. That blessing, the pronouncement of the blessing, is the uh, Melchizedek functioning as a prophet, declaring God's blessing upon Abraham, or upon Abram. 
So all three of these offices and their types, Moses, Aaron, David, and of course Melchizedek, they all, though, point toward Jesus Christ and his work. And the three offices of Christ are critical to our salvation, and in fact are related to the securing our salvation. Remember Adam's original state in the image of God, that God had created man, male and female, after his own image and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. But with the sin of Adam, this image became marred and corrupted, though of course it still existed. Mankind, once having intimate knowledge of God, now was born in ignorance of the truth. Once righteous before God, he now bears the guilt of sin. And once holy and pure in God's sight, he's sinful and defiled and is deserving of just judgment. Well, the three offices of prophet, priest, and king are thus intended to be used to redeem man from this lost sinful condition. First in Israel, Israel's history, but ultimately again pointing to and culminating in the work of Jesus Christ. And so it is the work of the, pro- the prophet to bring true knowledge of the law of God and the gospel, as the prophet reveals God's word to us. The duty of the priest is to restore righteousness by offering the necessary sacrifices so that we might have our debt of sin paid through atonement and propitiation. And it's the king's role to make us holy and bring us into submission to the will of God. The king makes the rules and we are to obey him. And so a true Christian, then, is one who has true knowledge of the gospel of Christ, who has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us because of Christ's work on the cross. And a true Christian is also one who seeks to submit himself daily to God's will and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our King and Redeemer. But these three offices not only describe the marks of a true Christian as he's been thus redeemed, but they're also associated with the marks of a true church. That is, the offices which Christ serves in as our mediator come to us and bless us through various ministries and activities of the church. Again, Jesus, as the word of God come in the flesh, is proclaimed through the preaching of the gospel and the revealing of God's truth. This proclamation is the prophetic office of Christ as he speaks through the minister who faithfully proclaims Christ and his gospel to the church. And so that's the role of the prophetic office. We see this, uh, the, uh, Jesus uh, charging his apostles in Acts 10. Uh, Peter recounts this, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who, has ordained, who was ordained by God to, judge, to be judge of the living and dead. And so the preaching of the word is the Lord using the minister, the pastor, to declare the prophetic words of Christ so that hearts and minds would be changed and transformed. And so the prophetic is certainly very much a part of the church, that the office is very much a part of the church today, although not in the way uh, people um, often think, but just in the faithful declaring and the preaching of God's word. That's the prophetic office being used or being demonstrated. Well, then when we celebrate the sacraments, it's reminiscent of the priestly office of Christ, as we celebrate and remember the washing away of sins by his sacrifice. And so both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Peter says in regards to baptism, uh, again this is Acts 2 at the the day of Pentecost, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so here, baptism uh, signifies the remission of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus accomplished on the cross as our once for all perfect sacrifice. And then the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, Jesus says, He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering Christ's sacrificial work. We're remembering his priestly work on our behalf. And so that's the function or that's how we experience that priestly office in the church today. Then the kingly office is often displayed in the carrying out of faithful uh, church discipline by uh, the elders. Discipline has as its goal to win the erring one over and to encourage their faithful submission to God's revealed will. Matthew 16, Jesus declares to Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjuna, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and against and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There, the keys of the kingdom is the, uh, the entrance into uh, the kingdom of heaven. They can let people in, let people out. And, and Peter, as representative of the, as the apostles, uh, as the leaders of the church at the time, uh, looking forward to the elders, that is the elders' duty, and the church in admitting uh, folks for membership as well as to the Lord's table, but then also administering discipline uh, when that is necessary. And so what do these offices then mean for us? We see how they're uh, still used uh, in the church today, <clears throat> but what do, the, the, what do they mean for us? Well, God has been pleased to give us his word, even his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the prophetic word of God become flesh, so that we might know how to live and serve him. Right? That Jesus is that prophet, the prophet like Moses, and as um, was declared by Moses, that we ought to hear him, and we will hear him. And even the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, uh, in whom I am well pleased, hear him, is what uh, the Lord, the Father, said to, uh, at the transfiguration of Jesus. And so it's the word of God revealed to us. We also are mindful that God has given us a great high priest, even Jesus, who can truly sympathize with us and our weaknesses, being tempted and tried in all ways that we are yet without sin. And this priest not only offered the once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins, but he also was that perfect sacrifice. Right In the Old Testament, the priests offered the sacrifices, but here at Jesus is offering the sacrifice, but the sacrifice is himself. He laid down his life, his own life, for us, so that we might forever have the forgiveness of sins, and that we might have eternal peace and reconciliation with God our Father and Creator. Well, the, Jesus holding these offices also, as our mediator, <clears throat> also means that God has given us 
an eternal king. One who sits on the eternal throne, even the Lord Jesus, who reigns and rules over all things for our blessing and his glory. And that we owe him a worship, we owe him praise, we owe him obedience. And we looked forward to him coming one day to be the uh, judge of the living and the dead when he returns again in power and in glory to usher in the fullness of his kingdom all to the glory of God. And so that Jesus Christ as our mediator truly is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we continue to be blessed by his functioning in these offices, not only in what he has already accomplished, but even in what he is continuing to do now for our blessing and our benefit. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for uh, the reminder of this truth that Jesus is the great prophet, priest, and king, and that he serves in each of those offices as our mediator, as the God-man. And that because of that, the blessings of each of those offices is poured out upon us. That we have your word revealed to us by the power of your spirit, and as it's faithfully proclaimed, that we have the forgiveness of sins. Because not only was Jesus the high priest who offered the sacrifice, but he himself was the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, so that we now have peace and reconciliation with you. And that Jesus is <clears throat> truly our king, even now reigning at, the, at your right hand, reigning and ruling over all things, subduing all his enemies under his feet, all to the blessing and benefit of his people, the church. That all things are working together for our good and His glory. And so we just praise You and thank You, Lord, for these uh, reminders. And again, we thank You for this Lord's Day. We thank You for Your <clears throat> continued blessing upon us. And what a great privilege it is to have <clears throat> this one day in seven where we can rest from our usual labors and that we can gather together with Your people to worship and to fellowship and to praise Your name. And Father, we're also especially mindful of our brother Yaku. We just pray that you would be with him tomorrow as he has the surgery on his knees. We pray, Lord, that you would give him a great sense of calm and peace. That you would be with those uh, surgeons as they uh, do their work and the nurses and others that will be helping and assisting. That you would give them a great tender care. That you would guide their hands. And that you who are the one who created us and who made the blind to see and the lame to walk we pray lord that you would have mercy and that this surgery would go well and that you would continue to uh to bless and encourage not only he and, and sandra and um, their family but also each of us as well as we look to forward again this week to uh, serving you to being faithful witnesses in our community to the glory of the gospel and to the praise of your holy name. May we truly be beacons of light and hope. We ask, O oh Father, that you would bless us in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.